We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blunder Ed, Blunder HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, July 17th, and you know what we do on Mondays. Mondays with McCool. We bring on James McCool, the co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour audio DFS masterclass, as well as the advanced player's guide with the custom Excel tools that you can find at Theory of DFS. Dot com. Get those thumbs ups in. Hit those dummy thumbs on your way in the door. Helps us out. Free content here. Hit that subscribe button if you're new here. Good morning to the YouTube chat. And good morning, James. Coming off, we're, we're, we're done with the All-Star break. Yep. Right, we're back. We're back and, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting back uh, soon into football. Football season's coming up. And, uh, Today I wanted to talk about you got into you got a bit bit of a discussion on Twitter about you did you did you did you get uh, into a scuffle with the best ball bros a bit of a kerfuffle a yeah. bit of a kerfuffle right because I mean I've seen best ball stuff people are drafting back in January and stuff and I think that's that's a little insane mm-hmm. so maybe people are playing on underdog on DraftKings on drafters best ball. And of course, I follow everyone, right? I mean, especially like here we have Eric Bimefor, Spike Week. He constantly talks about best ball. I see yeah. people's drafts all the time in my Twitter timeline. I'm not playing, but I mean, I I I look at all this, right? The reason I don't play is because it feels like I'm doing all this work for one slate. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and you you your tweet was uh, was a, was a hot take, which I don't even think is that hot a take. Basically, basically, your tweet is the the version of playing wherever you want for best ball, right? It's, you said not a single trend that you think matters for NFL best ball has much significance, nor do we have any real data to support claims about week 17 stacking, ADP blind spots, or roster construction in general. And of course, obviously, the best ball bros that are like doing all the, yeah, 
who's playing in week 17 and who uh, uh, do I take a guy in, in round four that I should be taking in round six and, and uh, zero RB constructions. And do I take mm-hmm. robust RB? Like they talk about all that. And basically your tweet was uh, you're thinking way too hard. Yeah. Just mash buttons and hope you get there. Mostly. Right. So uh, yeah, I got into some, some, I got into some discussions and I also got into some arguments and yes, Hutchings, I got into some kerfuffles. Uh, okay. So most of what people are talking about when it comes to best ball one, if you're drafting best balls in, in February, I think that you need to touch grass. Like you should not, there's, there's no reason to be doing that. There's a huge uh, edge though. If you get people in the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm coming up with excuses that maybe, yeah so look you might get edge here here's here's an edge that you get drafting alexander madison when his adp is like 120 before dalvin cook gets released good edge okay i i acknowledge that you have that you have gained edge by doing that uh you also may have accidentally drafted somebody who rips their acl apart uh, three days later, and you drafted them 14th overall, and now their ADP should actually be like 140th. So you drafted Alexander Madison and gained the edge where he was 120th ADP, and then he should be somewhere around 40th, right? So you gain 80 spots in ADP, whatever Sklansky bucks you gain by that. Uh, but then you also have a player that you drafted 20th overall who now should be drafted 140th. So you lose 120 ADP dollars uh in that and so now you're actually the edge that you gained the 80 adp dollars that you got on alexander madison you lost 120 adp dollars on i don't know um travis kelsey or i don't i don't even know who the adps are right now but you lost a lot of adp dollars on that and you didn't actually gain any edge so the the point to be made here is any edges that you are maybe gaining by drafting that early, you are also risking losing a lot of edge because you drafted somebody who doesn't actually matter at all early on because they get injured or they get traded or they sit out for the start of the season or they get arrested for hitting a woman in New Orleans or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it's it's very silly. But your main point isn't about drafting early. Your main point is that that – it's basically you're screaming small sample size that there are a lot of people that are looking at these, especially these large fields. We're talking about not like we're not talking about winning your 12 team best ball league. Like that's it. Like good coming first out of 12 type of thing. We're talking about these monster size, large field contests where not only do you have to like win your league, you then go into a playoff system for 15 weeks 15, 16, and 17, and then the top team out of all of them get $2 million, you know, out of 100,000 entries or even more than that, that looking back the past, like, three seasons worth of data on these contests is like looking at, it's uh, is like, is like going to the past MLB slate, like going to, I'm going to look at Friday, Saturday, and Sunday's MLB slate. Right. And then I'm going to just that's whatever is in that data of the past three MLB slates is what I'm going to I'm going to 
glean my entire MLB DFS strategy on. That's it. And and you're going to develop a, a large, huge set of, of content, and you're going to put together a whole site for it, and you're going to get a lot of people reading all of your stuff, talking about how these people won Friday's MLB slate. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, the, the argument to be made is like, oh, well, this is actually a whole bunch of different slates put up together into one. If we're thinking about it in DFS terms, that there were people that tried to make that argument. And that's not right. This is each year is considered as one slate of best ball. That's it. You get one slate of best ball for the entire year. Whatever happens in that entire year is what people are trying to utilize as a way to say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And that is insanity. Uh, but, uh, but couldn't you use simulations? So, I mean, there are people new. that are are trying to simulate. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not using past year's data as like, well, the top 1%, you know, when people, people put like the advance rate of this player. Like, I understand how that is absolutely flawed with small sample sizes. Right. Like, he happens to be, yeah, they're, they're the per. Just so happens that the advance rates are the people that did very well. I mean, like, it's, it's not going to, it's redundant. It's telling you the same exact thing of, like, draft people that did well. Like, okay, that that, that doesn't tell you that much. But uh, <clears throat> you could simulate, because people have simulated, like, pl- the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, they've taken the teams that have advanced last year yeah and then simulated weeks 15 16 and 17 and go well what's the roi of those teams at mm-hmm. least maybe not from week one couldn't you even if let's say let, let's say week 17 some team put up 70 points yeah and it's like well you needed you needed the dolphins like well obviously the team that's that the winner first place is going to be if a team puts up 70 points, like the stack of that team is going to be in the winner. I mean, like you, you don't need data to show you that it's going to be obvious at that point, but that doesn't happen all the time. Right. So you can't just go in and go, well, pick the team that's going to score 70 points in, the, in week 17. Well, what if no team scores 70? What are the range of outcomes of these things? And then going in and going, okay, weeks 15, 16 and 17. What is, what, what, what are the most important aspects of what your roster should look like. My attitude, even with that, is that the range of outcomes is so wide that it still comes down to it. Everything I look at, James, Every, I mean, I'm the type of person, you know me, I'm a game theory person. I'm a game oh, yeah. Like, what can we, what can we, how can we can edge, you know, run backs and, 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 uh, and stacking and all these cor- using correlation, using leverage. A lot of people are going to be drafting for this team. I'm going to be drafting with that team in case that team's good. And I'll be one of the few teams you use ownership. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not many people are stacking the Titans. Right. So I'm going to stack that. And then I realize I need DeAndre Hopkins in my stack. Yep. And I realize that until that point. So I understand the value of stuff like that, but everything I look at data wise, and I don't look take big looks because I'm not playing best ball. Everything just boils down to uh, the teams with the highest ROI are the teams that had the players that in weeks 15, 16, and 17 put up a lot of points. <laughs> and then outside of that, there's no other, like it's that. And then like, well, how about stacking? It's like, well, as long as you had, 
as long as you had player A, B, and C on your team, like you were guaranteed, it didn't matter the rest of your lineup, you guaranteed yep. to, to, go, to go to week 16. And in week 17, when Alvin Kamara puts up six touchdowns, <laughs> it's like it, Alvin, it, it's you won if you had Alvin Kamara, even if your team had some look at you looked at the construction and you're like, well, that made absolute that team makes absolutely no sense, but it got there because it didn't draft an injured first round running back. And it just so happened to have the week seven score of this player, the week set 11 score of that player, the week 15 score of this player. And then you look at the team and you go, I would have never drafted that. And it's like, yeah, because, because why would you, because why would you? Right. But it just so happens that you just needed those three. You just needed those couple of players together. Very similar to MLB on slates where, no team puts up a lot of runs, right? We yeah. get these 10-game 10, 10 slates, and no one scores more than six runs in a game. And then people are playing, you know, five-man stacks and stuff like that, and then you see these lineups that are like 2-2, two, 1-1-1-1, two, one, 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 one. and it's like, yeah, because out of all these games, there were like three people that hit double dongs and two pitchers that scored 30-plus points. It's like everything else was kind of even. So as long as you had those five players – doesn't matter what you did in the rest of your lineup. Now, had a team scored 18 runs, you would have needed that five-man stack. I view it very similarly in best ball of, well, let's take a look at week 17. And I go, I go two things. One, uh, you're, you're not even, you're, like, well, the teams, even if you stack every team week 17, if none of those teams score a lot of run, a lot of points, <laughs> it's not going to matter. And then, God knows in NFL with how much parity there is, right. what the hell are the good teams in week 17? Like, right. like you, and then if you're playing for week 17, you never get there, then that doesn't even matter. Right. Like it just, it just seems like it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff that the data doesn't, it doesn't even feel like the data supports it. it if it does, it supports it at such a low R like a low correlation coefficient. Like uh, I know sports underscore projections guy was saying that like the runbacks in week 17, like if you're drafting like that in best ball, like you're the edge is marginal if there even is one. Right. So like so, to prioritize that seems stupid. And if you're going to go and say, well, the past three years of data, you like, can look at the teams like you're, you're great. Take, let, let me see those past 300 or 3000. Mm-hmm. best ball seasons and you go well they, they don't exist it's like so you can't use the past three seasons as any type of like proof of anything it's right. like it's the similar to, to sports betting trends right it's like oh this team is is hitting right-handed pitching in the past three games <laughs> it's like and now it's a right-handed pitcher coming up but it's but the right-handed pitcher is jacob de right it's like so it doesn't matter that they hit right-handed you're, you're facing the best pitcher in baseball so like these trends don't really even matter that much. Yeah, so let's let's answer a couple of those things, right? Let let's talk about the simulation part first, because uh, that part I think is the funniest thing that somebody suggested. Um, and I I like Justin Freeman a lot. He runs um, run the Sims. He's he's a smart guy. I like him a lot. Uh, he's like, well, you know, maybe we can get to a point where I don't think that the the technology is there yet, but maybe somebody could put together a simulation that could simulate out the season and we could solve a lot of these problems. And I just, I laughed out loud looking at my phone, thinking about 
how you would need to be able to put together a simulation of an entire NFL season. Um, you can't. Because there, you, 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 wouldn't it have to also take into account injuries and there is, there running is back changes? no and... possible way to simulate an entire NFL season. There's no way. Because well, not only hold hold on hold on there is a way as long as you keep everything static from week one you say every if everyone's target share and every like if everyone was healthy and everyone play and all the teams played the same way that they should uh-huh. in week one than they do week seventeen you could no 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 you you could you could but you'd be wrong well of course you'd be of course <laughs> you'd be wrong <laughs> but you're saying but I can I can understand someone that says, well, you can simulate the whole season just like we can simulate a slate. The reason why we can simulate a DFS slate more so than the entire season more accurately mm-hmm. is that the like the likelihood of one slot like worst worst case scenario, someone gets injured in their first at bat and doesn't get the other three at bats. Like it did in the grand scheme of things, it does it they miss a couple of at bat, a plate appearances on the you know, we give everyone's injury probability of 1% and it happens 1% of the time. And when it does happen, it affects the slate minimally. But imagine you give 1% injuries to everyone in week one. By the time you get to week 10, like the rosters don't even look the same anymore. Right. So let's let's talk about this from, from a simulating standpoint. So let's let's consider, let's just start with everything is static, right? There are no, we turned off injuries in Madden. Everything is static based on baselines that we have before the season, based on our projections. And that's the crux of this. Do you know how long it takes for a team's baselines to get to a point on offense where we kind of know what they do in the season? Do you know how long into one season it takes? Probably more than half the season. It takes seven weeks. Right. It takes seven weeks for us to get to a point where we kind of know how a team wants to play, what their intent is as a team, okay? Uh, the, the vast majority of the time, we don't know what any offense even looks like for about 70% of the league. We know the really good teams. We know mostly what the Chiefs are going to do before the season starts. We know mostly what the Eagles want to do before the season starts. Who knows with touchdown regression? Who knows what they're going to look right. like? Also, like that teams like the Bills, I guess. Right. We we kind we mostly know about twenty five to thirty percent of the league what their intent is on how they want to play on offense going into the season. The other seventy percent, we don't know anything. So after seven weeks. So there's the first problem. If you're using static baselines, you still don't know anything about 70% of the league before you even start the simulation. You you literally just throw the simulation based out uh, just on that, right? Right. Well, well, Daniel Hutchins says that anything could be simulated. The question is quality. I think that I think that is what we're saying. It's right. not That's saying right that we can't say. simulate it. Just that whether or not at the end of it that you get anything worth worth a crap matters. So we we have just said that after that you can't even you don't even know what teams are until seven weeks in. It's completely ignoring defense because we don't know anything about defense. We have no idea what. Right, defense we know that in DFS, right? I mean, we go into the season going, "No, oh, there's a great defense," and then it turns out they're horrible. Right, right. The so defense we, that's we, supposed we, to be bad turns out to be oh, they're now the four K defense right. in week eight. I mean, like right. we have no idea. Nope. So let's let's just start there. We we have already said that this this just is not going to turn out well. And then turn injuries back on, turn trades back on, 
turn on the differences in the the outcomes based on the extremes on either side of how good or bad teams are going to be. Turn on coaching differences. Turn on a, a game. The, the winner last year had a game get canceled <laughs> in the play. Turn on cancellations. Turn on postpones. Turn on weather. There's it shot. Just shot. There's there's absolutely no way. The reason why it is easier to project DFS single game slate, single weeks in the NFL is because the data does not compound the changes in the baselines. It's a compounding effect. Well, it would be different, but James, it would be different if you were able to redraft in best ball every week. Right. Then you could make decisions based on the new data that you have. Right. But best ball, the whole point of best ball is that. You draft once, and that's your own. That's why it, that to me, that's why it counts as one slate. Yep. Even though you make, they have the weekly format, where it's like, oh, they paid out weekly. You know, like, oh, week what would have did best in week one gets a payout, best mm-hmm. in week two. But once, from a game theory perspective, once you once the decisions stop. Yep. Like there's nothing you there's there's nothing you could do past that. That's when the that's when the slate stops. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that there's no more slate after that. It's like you made all your decisions. Everyone simultaneously made their decisions, lock hits, and now you're done. It doesn't matter how 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 you break out all the other things. You you can't you can't do anything about it. I mean, that's what Daniel Hudson says is that even if you simulate the season as well as you can, it's not even enough. You also need to solve how to draft, which is also very tricky. Right. And that gets into the second part of this, right? Is basically my tweet. All of these different trends, week 17 stacking, roster construction, like how, like how you sh- how many tight ends you should draft, how many running backs you should draft, whether you should draft running back hero or running back zero or ADP blind spots, which is basically saying like here's a dead zone for running backs, so you should draft wide receivers here or whatever. Like all of these things are people trying to take DFS and game theory concepts and apply them against something that has a hundred times more variance. And it just won't matter. Like, or or actually, no, no, no. I shouldn't say that it won't matter. We don't know if it matters. We just don't know. And that was the big thing that that caused the kerfuffles were people being like, oh, well, people who say this just haven't looked at the data. And to say that to me is hilarious, first off. Uh, and then to say it and, and have that kind of level of confidence in the way that people are looking at three slates worth of data shows your ass more than it shows mine. Right, like that's because really the, the point of view I agree with that point of view is very similar to the BVP stuff in baseball. Yeah, like to me, B, BVP matters, it's just that there's no way to judge when it does matter. Like, mm-hmm. like we don't have the sample size or the ability to know when it matters and when it doesn't matter. So, the same thing of you're right, week 17 matters. How you How you benefit from that? Good luck. I mean. Like, you're not going to be able to know. Did, does ADP matter? Does roster construction matter? Like, we're not saying that it doesn't matter. But the amount of data that you have to make these sweeping conclusions is so small that you shouldn't be so confident in it. Like, it's just the confidence level of these things should be extremely low. Yeah. And to make sweeping statements of, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. I mean, I mean, the audience should know us and me especially. <laughs> like there's no right or wrong answers like there's no there's no definitive you have to do this or you have to do that at the end of the day in baseball like we always talk about in baseball oh 
You're stuck. Five man stacks on DraftKings. You got it. If you're not stacking five mans on DraftKings or four man, you're not using correlation on MLB, right? Then you're doing something wrong. You are horrible and awful, and you're gonna lose all your money. But I say that that's not the optimal way to to, to build baseball. The optimal way to build baseball lineup lineups is to get the two highest scoring pitchers and the eight highest scoring hitters, right? Now, good luck getting the eight highest scoring hitters individually. Do you need that score? That's you're gonna win the contest by seventy points, right? Against the team, against the the five man stack of the team that scored twelve runs, and that's fine. If you if you can do that, if you know exactly how to hit, get all the double dongs, all the triple stealers, all the 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 two percent on pitcher that puts up thirty five points. Like if you're if you could get all that right, God bless you. You're the greatest, you're the greatest ever to be able to do that. Like that would be the optimal way. Right. But since it's so difficult to do that, it's much it's it's much easier to predict what teams are going to do well. And because correlation, the correlation coefficients to fantasy points for baseball are so high for batters, that's why you take five of them. That's why you take four of them. That's why you do that. And you go, okay, I think the Reds are gonna put up 10 runs. It's like, okay, take five of them and hope you get the right five. And there you go. And then yep. when you win, you don't have to win by 70 points. But really, I think best ball, what people are talking about these these trends and strategies are they're trying they're trying to format it almost feels like the opposite. Like they're trying to make a format very similar to MLB stacking. Right. In a in something that is because of its length of 17 weeks, that Every additional week that you add to the sample, it compounds like the the, the tree of what could of, of variance gets so wide and wide and wide and wide that it encompasses any strategy. For and, and like I'm saying, this is for the largest field stuff. I think these strategies matter for if you're gonna. I'm gonna play a 12 team best ball league with my friends or high stakes and go best ball five thousand dollar league. I think the I think the strategies are proper, but when going to like a hundred thousand entry best ball contest with a million to first top heavy whatever, the the standard deviation on this is I mean it's what should James is it wider than than the mill it's I think it's wider than the millie maker in 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 DFS and it's hundred percent wider yeah it's hundred percent like it's way like it's because it's not just the millie maker it's like. It's like drafting one team for the Millie Maker to play in the Millie Maker every week for 17 weeks. Right. right. And and I do want to say a couple things here of that there there are certain things that I do believe matters because they've been proven out in DFS. Right. Um, only because they matter for one week. Right. Because and they, we could we could we could superimpose the fact that if it matters for one week. It's more likely to matter for multiple weeks. Well, it's even from a mathematical standpoint. Like, the way that we play fantasy sports is applicable to every fantasy sport. The thing that matters is projection, correlation, and ownership, right? Like, we those are, those are fundamental to DFS as a game. And it, they're fundamental to fantasy sports as a game on another level. Ownership might not matter. 
as much. But where ownership doesn't matter as much, projection and correlation matter more. So having high projections and maximizing correlation where necessary is still going to be applicable in best ball. Uh, the questions are always how much do these things matter? Like, does correlation matter at all in best ball? I don't know. It could be like PGA, where correlation is a very, very low variable, and the thing that well, matters I mean, it matters. You just, I'm not saying you, I don't just want to correct you. Like, it does matter. Just how much does it matter? Right. That's yeah. That's that's the question. And we and we don't have the data to know. Like we we know and high projections. High projections probably matter quite a bit when it comes to best ball. Probably how you derive them is variable and different and we're not sure exactly the best way to look at projection a lot of people look at projection as adp right having good mispriced players based on adp gives you more value hence more projection based on your draft uh so the question is and and this was another comment that that was made was oh well when you look at week 17 stacking, we know that game stacking in DFS matters, so it should matter in best ball. It's like, maybe, it might. Uh, it depends on what you're giving up to do it at, at the same time. Like, if you are drafting for correlation in best ball for week 17 stacking, and you say, take this player uh, who you have projected for, like, I, I don't know, like 10 fantasy points or something like that, and you skip over another player who's projected for 13 fantasy points, like per game, does the correlation added matter more than that three-point projection difference? We don't know if it does. We don't know what the correlation coefficient is between players drafted in a best ball draft because we don't have the data, and we we likely will never have a data. Like, we likely will never have the data. So that's all that this is saying. And, and people were getting up in arms about it and like trying to defend these things. It's like, that's one, it makes me want to draft best ball and just draft the best players, right? Like it, it makes me want to get money down on this because I think so many people are going about it in, in like a very forced convoluted way. But two, at the same time, it just, it just shows that people are, are willing to look at these trends and willing to trick their eyes into these things for survivorship bias and just not... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's survivorship bias and sampling bias also. Yeah, it's both. It's both. And 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 I think that one of the, the reasons why people are so ready to believe it is because we have had two smart people 
win tournaments. Um, Pat Corain winning last year. Right, Justin Martin. It's a good player. Uh, and and um, Chess Liam. Liam. Right, and also, but also Herzig also. Yeah. Before that. Yeah. So we, we have had smart people win these tournaments. And I think that people want to look at that and say, oh, well, we should copy all of these different things that they're doing. And it's like, we've had really smart people win GPPs three days in a row. We've also had really bad players win GPPs three days in a row. Right. So looking at it from the lens of these smart people have one best ball and now they're putting out all this content about how they did it when very likely they probably just ran like sun gods. Karain certainly did. Um, I, I, I just I, I always question people who are willing to believe these things this quickly uh, without ever actually looking at data. And that's coming from somebody who works with small samples, right? Like this is this is my wheelhouse is working with small samples. Right. And you're not saying that they're wrong. It's just that it's that it shouldn't be definitive. Yet. Right. Right. It could be like I, I, th- I think. I, like Daniel says in, in the chat that his take is that if there are sharps in best ball, they're making 100 educated guesses about how to play. And they're just getting it more, right more often than not. Like I think that I think is like yes, there's pro- there's there's probably a lot right in what they do, mm-hmm. and these strategies do have an impact. But also, there some have much more of an impact than others, and we don't know which ones they are. Mm-hmm. Yep, and and I personally am not in the position, and one of the reasons why I just kept responding to people who were just like, oh well, you know you. What about this? What about this? What about this? And I, my response was pretty much always maybe. Because like, right, what what do you want me to do? Like I, I people don't argue. like that answer, dude. I mean, I mean, look at me. People when people ask me, should I play this guy or this guy? It's like, well, it depends on your lineup. It's like, what kind of answer is that? It's like that's the right answer. <laughs> maybe is the right. Maybe is the correct answer. You <laughs> saying definitively yes or definitively no is 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 wrong. You don't you don't you don't you shouldn't have the confidence level that you think, but. To me, just like it and just like with anything else, I think people like to be like they like a formula, they like a structure, they like to right. be able to cling on to look, I am doing it right, so that when it fails, they could just throw up their hands and go, Well, what am I supposed to do? I did everything, I, I drafted right, and oh, well, three of my guys got injured, and this guy got traded, and the team that I thought the Bills just ended up being awful this year. Right, like, and it's like, yeah, and that's why going by de- these definitive rules is is dumb. I mean, like, uh, we had uh, one another thread that I wanted to point out. This is a this is a a thread from May eighteenth. I only picked up on this because Justin Freeman tweeted yeah. about ADP about efficiency. Because another argument that I see within the best ball bros is that, uh. If you if that trying to draft better than ADP is a lost cause because ADP is efficient, and I always thought that that was odd. That ADP that it's very similar to ownership efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Like if you got if you aggregated projected ownership from all the sites and everything like that, and said okay for a baseball slate. It's like, oh, that's the efficient ownership. That's not the efficient ownership. That's just, that's the consensus ownership. Right. It's not going to be the actual ownership. And the AD, the efficiency of ADP, like you go on Underdog, you go on DraftKings, you go on these sites, 
and they show you they uh, they show you the the ADP of every player, right? But that's that in and of itself is is a cycle. It's it's that is all weighted by all drafters because people I've seen people and that you should take a look at this this uh, this thread. Mm-hmm. People are using ADP efficiency very similar to like sports betting lines, right? And that's like that's not that's that's not what that's not what ADP is. ADP is just a consensus of what everyone is drafting, the average of what everyone else is drafting. It doesn't mean that they're good. It just means that's the average, right? When when sports books change their lines, they're mostly moving based on sharp action, right? So like if you go into best ball and you're a sharp player and you're drafting wide receiver, whatever, in the fifth round, while everyone else is drafting them in the seventh or eighth round, like it looks like, oh, you're you're taking a reach. It's like, no, that actually may be the efficient. Like that's the sharp, that's the sharp. The ADP should be higher, but there's only how many sharp people are drafting him in the fifth round versus how many people are taking him in the eighth round. So right. the ADP ranking never moves past seven or eight, even though that's not efficient. The, the efficient place is is the fit. If you took him in the sixth round, you actually got more value because he should be going in the fifth. But this, but it's not like sports betting. The sites aren't going to going to change that, right? I mean, crypto degen whatever says that right here. The biggest reason why ADP is not efficient because it does not value sharp money. Even in the biggest best ball tournaments, a person can only enter a maximum of 150 times. That is out of a total of 677,000 total entrants. Even the sharpest drafters taking a player ahead of ADP in every draft they do will not shift the market at all. Compare that to betting markets where sharp money moves lines much more efficiently through bet sizes and past performance awareness by sportsbooks. Two, ADP acts like an anchor. ADP is truly not a wisdom of the crowd. Uh, and Josh Larkin uses an example of a crowd guessing the weight of a cow when averaging the crowd's answers. But this is not the same as ADP, as there is a difference. When guessing the weight of a cow, each person is doing their best to formulate their own answer. You have hundreds of independent thoughts. I would argue that ADP is wisdom of a few being followed by the crowd. My guess is that a majority of drafters are not deeply thinking about each player's value and creating their own rankings. I think the typical drafter is using the ADP list provided by the site and selecting players only very close to their ADP, anchoring each player to that number. At best, many players are using content providers' rankings, which may have, would many have admitted their best ball rankings weight the ADP of the player as part of the equation. For these reasons, you have a small percentage of the overall player pool actually drafting based on the value of a player as they have determined it, and the rest of the crowd piling on to lock on, lock in those values. And then three, you could see the actually see the inefficiency with your own eyes. The ADP of a player could vary widely from site to site, and for reasons that can't be explained by difference in scoring. Final thoughts: ADP is a starting point, not an end point for determining a player's value. It will tell you something. It will be in the ballpark, but because it is not an efficient market, it will not reflect the player's value completely accurately. For this reason, ADP can be exploited by sharps and drafts, or when using ADP as a basis for trades, I will say generally this exploitation and value gained will be small. I love that. That's smart. That's really good. Um, I I will say to, to add on to that, that... I do actually think that sharp 
that the market does move based on sharp decisions if those sharp decisions are broadcasted. Um, because yeah, that's what he was saying. Like it's like so we we have you know so, someone like Evan Silver, Adam Levitan. They're like, jump on board this guy. He, he's going in in the round seven. He should go take him before round five. Like his ADP is going to move up, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that that's correct. Well, no, but I do think that it kind of is. Uh, I I think that that goes against the core idea of his argument, um, because I I do think. While I think that 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 that's a cool explanation, and I don't think that it is as efficient as it could be, I do think that what we consider to be sharp players are mostly producing content. Not mostly, a lot of sharp players are producing content that then is producing ADP shifts based on their picks. Right. Well, I do think that actually the market is more efficient than he is thinking that it is. But I think the concept of ADP not being efficient because it doesn't move enough is really interesting. Right. Well, the whole the whole argument for the the efficient ADP hypothesis is that if you were to draft and stick completely to ADP, that you're you're drafting wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there's no edge in doing that. You're paying the rake by doing so. But there's there's obviously a way to draft even with ADP that's still different than the than the, the crowd. I mean. Like, dude, imagine. I mean, you you could take different structures. The, the the thing is, is that in best ball, in the large field contests, I think combinatoric level ownership matters a lot more than people think. Oh, what? Or do you don't agree with? No, I mean, I do. I just hate thinking about it. But I think that matters more than it. It matters more than exposures. Ver- like my portfolio, I have forty-two percent of this guy. I think it matters if you were, for instance, James. If you were, let's just call it the most efficient market would be a week before the season. Sure. Right. So let's say let's say we created a five hundred thousand person contest, and everyone drafted a week before the season. So we didn't have like the weird teams from January. Everything mixed in. If you were to draft, regardless of correlation or nothing, you just, whatever draft position you got, you drafted the best player at the ADP, yeah. you know, at the efficient, whatever the sites and whatever the rank, the consensus was. Yeah. If you were to do that, you're more like your best ball teams of what, 16 players or whatever it is, will look, are more likely to be clumped with other teams that look very similar. Right. Right. That out of your 16 teams, you, you may have 12 of the same players. Your, your team may be unique, right? It may not be duped, but 12, 14, you could be, you could have 14. Another team could have the same 14 players and just last two round picks are different or a different quarterback in round eight that you took. Right. And so when it like, like you're more likely than that. And when it comes to top heavy payouts, like you don't want to be you don't you don't want that amount of duplication that the only thing that i could see in these large fetal things is that drafting strictly by adp without aberration of it try try to you know get better value than what the market thinks is that you end up in 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 a 
a, a place where your EV goes down because the teams, you, if you get to week 15, right? If you make the playoffs, your team makes the playoffs with like possibly 24 other teams that look almost exactly like. Well, and your EV would then be entirely tied to. Probably whatever the 2v2, like, 4v4, whatever yeah. you have. And, and probably a like a round 12 running back right. wide receiver that got you there. It's you you are right and again like we're speaking most, mostly in hypotheticals here but like thinking through the how much it matters right that's the point i'm making james like people are pointing out like this is this is the i bring this up for the fa- to to address the fallacy versus what it really means yeah the fallacy is take I, i've seen people say this Take take people outside of their ADP so you can get more different rosters, yeah. right? And yeah. my attitude is like, no, th- that there's a value to that, and you have to compare that value to the pro- – what are the levers? Projection, correlation, leverage, right? We talk about the leverage lever, right? The ownership lever, right, which includes combinatorics. And we go yeah. – I'm gonna take. A, I'm gonna. I'm gonna build a lineup that is really low owned. It's like, yeah, which which is your goal. But if you're sacrificing so many points in projection, that's not worth it to play. I mean, like, right. like it cut. There's a point of like you shouldn't just be going out and going. I'm gonna take a core. I'm gonna take a quarterback in in round. One. I'm gonna 101. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. Right, doing something like that in round two. I'm taking. I mean, whatever. I'm taking. So I'm taking someone that I could draft in the eighth round in the second round. Right and go look at my team. It's so different than others. Go, you're right. But how many points? How many? How much projection are you sacrificing? Right for that sake. So, yes, I agree that getting combinatorically different from other teams is there's value to that. But you have to compare that value to the correlation to the project. Obviously, the more that you're different combinatorically, probably the less important correlation is. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you're 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 relying on one factor while other teams are relying too heavily on another because then you have the other people that are like like yeah i don't mind reaching <coughs> adp wise as long as i get my stacks right make sure i get the two i get three receivers and a quarterback from two different teams and if i have to if i have to have a four round adp reach to get it I'm going to do that. It's like I actually I did that last year. That was how I drafted my entire portfolio last year. How'd you do? Uh, terribly. Um, but <laughs> but I can't I can't look at it and think that that's a bad strategy. I still think like intuitively that I think that strategy makes sense. But I drafted a lot of the Broncos, which turned out terribly. I drafted a lot of the Ravens. Lamar Jackson got injured, uh, and like my late round picks, I was taking shots on. Guys like Will Fuller and uh, and other guys who didn't sign places. So, like, it just speaks to the variability. Like, I, I think that intuitively that strategy makes sense, maximizing out correlation and trying to remove making micro decisions and just trying to make macro decisions and then just win on the margins of your stacks. I think that intuitively that makes sense. But, like, I can't look at the results of that year and say one way or another that it is right or wrong, mostly because I ran like trash. Uh, 
So I like I did. And when we think about those three levers, maybe this is something that people can actually take from this and apply to best ball, right? Think about those three levers. If you are maximizing one of them in best ball, you probably don't have to worry as much about the other ones. If you're maximizing two of them, you don't have to worry about one of them. If you're maximizing your projection, your correlation, you maybe don't have to worry so much about the combinatorics of it. If you're maximizing your projection and the combinatorics, you maybe don't have to worry about the correlation. Right. If you're maximizing your correlation and the combinatorics, you maybe don't have to worry as much about the projection. Um, again, like we don't, we don't know. We don't know how much each one of those things is worth, but there's, there's a fair th- way to think about it if you wanted to take some tests. But that's all that we're doing with best ball right now is the- theoretical decision-making and seeing what sticks over the course of maybe best ball will be around in 50 years and we'll have a data set that is almost good enough to make some decisions off of, but who knows? Will you be there when it happens? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 31. I'll probably be there. Okay. Yeah. I'll probably be there. I don't know. Maybe you did. Are you playing best ball this year at all? Man? I don't know if, if I'm going to, I have to start now. If I'm going to get 150 teams in because last, last year I tried to draft that. Why do this is this is the this is the, this is always my this is always my point. And I, hey, there are edges everywhere, uh-huh. right? So like you don't have to do like I could I could say that there is an edge in best ball. There is. Mm-hmm. I think you can be profitable in best ball. I don't think it takes hard like from to build profitable teams and have a positive ROI long term. It just it go best ball goes like completely against my semblance of. What, how much time for how much ROI for how much opportunity cost? And it's just like, it's like the worst of every. It is. It's like, it's like dude, for me to build a, for even one team, right? It's going to cost, what, it's going to, a half an hour to draft? Yeah. So I did. Quick draft I, is a half an hour or something? I grinded really hard last year and I was able to do 125 drafts in a month. How much, how long does it typically take to do one draft? 45 minutes, probably. Okay, so 40. So it takes me 40. Imagine it takes 45 minutes to make one lineup, right? And it's for one slate. Yep. And you have to put in the money for that slate and not see anything for four and a half months. <laughs> okay, yep. So look, uh, that and Hutchins brought this up earlier in the chat of like, it's just about getting down the money. It's, it's not about it's there is certainly probably edge, but it's right. just about getting down the money. If I'm going to max out a best ball tournament uh, for $3,500 or whatever, like if I do the 25, I'm going to max that out. That's the same amount of action that I can get down in four baseball slates in four days. Right. Like, right. and that's, and that's at my, my like high volume, right? Like it takes me maybe two weeks to get that volume down in baseball at like regular volume and, and you get not- it back. And, and, and if, if you're, if you're, if you're, po- if you're a profitable player, your, your ROI compounds. Right. So if I, if I bink one slate and then I get down a whole bunch of volume, like it can compound. Right. right. And let's, let's talk about the NFL season. I not, I'll get 3000 down in one week. Right. <laughs> like it's not even, I, what and and I get that money back instantly and 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 we already talked about how wide the variance margins are on best ball how much wider it is than the millimaker 
why would I not just play the Millie Maker every week and have a shot at taking it down multiple times? Like with the with less variability, with less deviations than we believe exists. Well, best ball is fun. That's why. Best ball is fun. And I will say that. I really like drafting. I think it's okay. fun. So for an entertainment value, that's one thing. But to, my, my point of why I don't play best ball is not because I don't think there's an edge. It's just that it's there's so many other places that it's... Well, and for me, like, yeah, it's fun. But if I'm going to do one, I want to do 150 so I can maximize my my exposure. Okay, you binge drafting? Well, you're one of those people? No, you can well, only I, have one chip, right? You have one chip. I got to eat the whole bag. No, no, I, I, no. Like, but when it comes to DFS, when it comes to things like that, if, if I'm going to be playing something, I want to play it to win. I want to give myself the best shots that I have to win, right? So if I'm going to be... I'm not going to play one lineup in a 677,000 entry contest. Why not? One bullet, single bullet, you win. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Why? Why not? You could. There's no I reason could. you can. Yeah, but that, that sounds terrible. That sounds like an awful time. That sounds terrible. 25 uh, bucks in a dream. Yep, 25 bucks in a dream. I, I, if if I'm going to play best ball, I have to start now because I want to get 150 in. I probably will not. I have too many other things going on. I have to prepare for the live final in a month and finish my contest sims. And like, I'm probably not going to play best ball. Probably. So, so basically we, we did a 50 minute show on here's, here's best, best ball strategy doesn't matter. Play whoever you want. And even then it's probably not even worth it to play. Yeah. Literally our entire conversation is theoretical. <laughs> I just think it was theoretical. <laughs> I think that it's fun, man. I think it's fun to play. I th- and and I also, people got really mad at me because they said that I was accusing their work of not mattering, of like accusing people of who put together best ball content of that work not mattering. And that's not true. Theoretical work matters. Like it, it does. Like doing the testing, putting together the work, putting out the theories, that stuff matters. We cannot come to consensus agreement unless there are theories. Right. You just might not realize the actual results of those theories until your grandchildren are utilizing the stuff that you wrote in the 150th anniversary of baseball drafting. Like it, it just, you might not know, but it doesn't mean that the stuff is worthless and it doesn't mean that it's bad content. I think that it's enjoyable enough. I think that guys like Pete Overzet put together like some really fun stuff. I think that Karain's, um his live drafts are pretty cool. Like I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that is good from both a theoretical and entertainment value standpoint. I just don't, we just don't know if it's good enough for an ROI game. And that, that those two things can be separate. It doesn't mean one is less value than the other. Like we're, we're, we live in a world and we live on the internet where putting together content and putting together theories can be very profitable for a lot of people. And if you're making money putting together best ball content, by all means, go do it. Have fun. Live your truth, man. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means it might not matter. And so I, I do a hundred things a day that might not matter, but I do them because they, they might, might matter. They might matter. <laughs> I don't know. Living life like that is probably the right way to live it because it gives you a reason to do whatever you want to do. You know what else matters? What else matters? Hitting the thummy thumbs. Yeah. Hit that thumbs up button. On your way out the door, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. 
every Monday. Talk to James McCool. You can find him, paydirt underscore DFS, if you want to yell at him about best ball strategies. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd prefer if you didn't. I will just mute you. But you can do it if you want, if you want to get muted. But if you want to learn more about this type of stuff that we discuss when it comes to daily fantasy sports, theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass, as well as the advanced player's guide with the custom Excel tools at theoryofdfs.com. And us uh, getting your questions, right? We, we, got, we got some Grinders Live shows this week. So, so I think Wednesday and Thursday, it'll be me and Dean for the early slates. But we still got some other shows. We got an MMA later this week. Tomorrow, I think, is just a normal, normal, what do you want to talk about type of show. So send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. Cover anything you want on the show about DFS strategy, about the tools here at Roto Grinders, best ball, any any intellectual conversations, theoretical stuff. You want to send in a theoretical question? Go for it. That's perfectly fine. But uh, but then then I'll be back because I'll answer them. I'll try to answer them, like I always do here, Mondays through Fridays, eleven o'clock Eastern. On the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.